We have a Bible study. And what we want to do tonight is talk on the subject of cooperation. How does that sound? <clears throat> Judges, the seventh chapter, and we'll read only one verse, but uh, we will talk about the story a little bit. Judges, the seventh chapter, verse 21. And this is given the account are part of the account of Gideon and his 300 men that overran the Midianites. The Bible says, and they stood every man in his place. Let's say his place. His place. Let's say it again. His place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. God bless you. You may be seated. Just want to, I wanted to read the scripture while you were standing. Just want to go back to our fall planning session. The uh, district board did something we thought was so great. Sister Grant uh, came down. Uh, Brother Aaron gave her a call last evening. We were finishing the meetings. And I made reference to, I might not even drive back. I said, I am so tired. Brother Seidel was down all week and those meetings can get long and tiring. And we had been in meetings all afternoon, just one big thing after the other. When you're making plans and you're meeting with the departments, and and uh, it's uh, it gets gets tiring. So we had been in meetings all day, and I just made reference that I might not go back home. Uh, we had reserved the room already because we don't know when we're going to finish when we go down there. We stay until we. It's not a lock in, but I never went outside. But uh, we were just really working. Well, I made the reference that I might not go back home. So, uh, of course, the, the district board was thinking that Sister Grant was going to be there Tuesday night for the banquet. I thought she was, too. But uh, she didn't make it down for some reason. Well, she didn't understand for, for, for the one thing. She didn't understand she was supposed to be down there. She thought it was kind of an optional thing. But they had planned something for the banquet. Well, she didn't go, and they went ahead and showed the uh, the film. They had checked that one film out. It's on Johnny Lingo. It was dealing with, uh, of course, the reason why they were doing this was our upcoming 25th wedding anniversary. It's about a man on an island who purchased a wife, and he paid eight cows for her. Nobody had ever paid eight cows for a wife. Kind of humorous, but it was serious, too. So, anyway, they had that film all set up for us, but you didn't show. But Brother Aaron went and called last evening, and Sister Grant drove down there. Well, Brother Aaron and the district board had reserved one of the big suites, and they had big floral arrangements and, and streamers and, and balloons or whatever, these heart-shaped foil-type happy anniversary things all over the ceiling, and... And they had it set up to show Sister Grant that film when she got down there. So uh, it was, uh, we just, we were just uh, really thrilled over their remembrance of our 25th anniversary. Praise God. So even though it was tough all week, as far as the meetings, it just ended 
you know, on a good note, I just want you all to know that I really do appreciate my wife very much. And I appreciate you. Part of my lesson tonight will be along the lines of what I talked to our district about on Tuesday evening. I didn't entitle it cooperation, but I felt that this is something I really need to speak to you about because I really feel that that the, the key to any organization is cooperation. And uh, cooperation is defined simply as all of the members joining together for a particular purpose to accomplish a particular thing. This simply means working together. That's what it means. Just means working together. Now, you can work together with people <clears throat> that uh, you might not necessarily agree with in every case. And you may work together with people that you might not really care to work together. That's, uh, see, the thing about church work that makes it so difficult, if the proper attitude's not manifested, is that people feel that it's optional. I can do it if I want to, and if I don't want to, I don't have to. Reason why? Because you see, you're not getting paid to do what you're doing. Now, on your job where you go to work, uh, you get paid. And really, you have an agreement or contract between you and your employer. And for some reason, Christians, for the most part, feel that they should really produce when they're on their job. But sometimes they feel that what they do, as far as the brotherhood and the church is concerned, is optional. Well, I don't really know that uh, a person can go to heaven if he starts considering cooperation, as far as the body of Christ is concerned, as being optional. I'm just going to be real plain with you because I, now I, I've searched this out. I've, really, I've been doing a lot of searching into this. Now let me explain to you the reason why. You see, I'm not only a leader of the church here, but a leader in the state of Wisconsin, the superintendent of our churches. Now why should I search it out? So that I can make everybody know that's not it. Because I don't want to impose regulations upon people that would create adverse situations and conditions if they're not required. But if in the event they are a requirement as far as the scripture is concerned, then it is necessary that I understand to what limit and to what degree and that I make people feel responsible to the task. Because if I don't, then the problem doesn't lie in the people if there's success or failure, but it lies in the leader. Follow what I'm saying? Now, <clears throat> that's also true in a church. A as you know, there is no real honorable way, and I, I recognize this, and, 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 and I don't want you to feel I'm saying this for my advantage. But you know there's no honorable way in which you can rebuke a leader? I say there's no honorable way. Even in situations in which 
wrong has been done, when leaders have been carefully brought under the, the scrutiny of the people, the people seem not to be able to escape innocently. Now that just simply means this then, that if that be the case, God help me, and I really mean that in a, a positive sense, to pray for wisdom constantly. Pray for the right attitude constantly. Pray that I will fit into the proper vein or channel or groove that God wants me to be in. Because there's an awesome responsibility when you ultimately stand for the good and betterment or for the downfall and the devastation of people. Now that's a big, big responsibility. Taking my time tonight because I want some of this to soak in. Now, this was not only true, cooperation was not only required, rather, of Gideon's 300, but it was required of Gideon himself. Sometimes, as a leader, it's easy for a leader to reach the point where he feels that he's much higher, uh, above, he is beyond the work that's cut out for the people. Therefore, he requires things of people that he wouldn't do himself. <clears throat> now, as you know the story well concerning Gideon, this is a story that goes, that, 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 that our children, could, I think some of the small ones could stand up and tell us all about it. So we won't go into deep detail, but you see, God began to call out the uh, Israelites from 22,000 all the way down to 300 through various tests, screening processes, two different ones. All the fearful can go home, so they did, about 10,000 of them, or the left only about 10,000. And then they had the water test in which all of them failed except 300. Now, what happened was, uh, God wanted to show a divine miracle. But now he wasn't trying to show the miracle of just a small crowd. But he was going to show the miracle of what would happen when a small crowd behaved itself and cooperated in a particular fashion. See, when Jesus took the five loaves and the three fishes and he began to break them, he had a particular way in which this food was ministered to the people. God always has a pattern or plan. He didn't just start breaking it and throwing it up for grabs. Anybody can get what they want. No. He set all the people down in companies of 100 and he took his disciples, gave them the bread. They passed it out. And what I get about that, it's not the matter of how many fishes or how many loaves. 
It's the combination of how few and what could be accomplished when it was all organized and set in order. Now you may say, but brother, aren't you leaving the blessings of God off? No, I'm not leaving the blessings of God. I'm saying that the combination demands then the blessings of the Lord. And now you can see this throughout the scripture. It's there. It's always there. The joint effort of everybody that's involved doing their particular part. And I think this is so beautiful. Now, what I'd like to do is just turn to the book of Psalms 138. And we want to read three or four scriptures here. Dealing with the value of cooperation. Psalm 138 verse 2. The scripture says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, we're called people of the name. We stress the name. You see all of these signs around here? There is none other name. What does this say? His name is Jesus. God became man. They should call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. His name was called Jesus, for he should save his people from their sins. We wear his name. We in the back publish his name. Now we stress the importance of the name. But the Bible does say that God has magnified his word above his name. Now there's a reason why that that's, that is that way. It, it's not to minimize the importance of the name. Now, if you will take and turn with me then to John 1 and 1, we're going to read a scripture that, that uh, I think <laughs> uh, explains to a degree. Uh, and you may not get the connection when you first see it. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. Let's say Word. Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's just simply saying word equals God. God is. That's what it's saying. So you can't separate the word from God. You may say, well, can you separate the name from God? No, you can't do that either. But this is the sum total of what God is. And the reason why that the word is magnified above the name is because there is more to God than just a name. And so there is a theory, it's called a theory, but it's, it's been proven. It, it is actually a fact, it's more than a theory. First, in the area of mathematics or science, you deal with theories. And after the theories have been proven, they are established, they are still called theories, but in essence they're not theories, they become fact. So what the scripture is saying is this, we're dealing, God says, with a theory of reality. 
that no part of anything can exceed the sum total of it. For a fraction can never be bigger than one. So no part of anything can be bigger than the whole. See? So anything that you take and divide it or break it down, no part of that can ever be bigger than the sum total. And all of the parts of any particular thing makes up one. Now that's not just a theory, that's a fact. And you see, this is what God is. His name is used to identify another part of God. The name is used to identify the blood. So naturally, when you equate it, it only stands to reason that the word must be magnified above the name. That's not saying the name's not important. The name is one of the components that constitutes, when all added together, the, the whole. But the word is the sum total. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, this then will bear much light on this business concerning the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, For as the body is one, that's what he's saying. Jesus Christ doesn't have five bodies. When he was here, God was manifested in one body. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason why that I cannot, and some of you people can, can you, you may see it differently because you've asked me about it. The reason why that I cannot, in my, my mind, make Melchizedek of the Old Testament anything more than a theophany. Or I say... Anything more than just a man. Not a theophany. That's how... A theophany is ways in which God comes to people. Reveals. I do not believe that Melchizedek was God in the flesh. Now some people say that he was because they go to the book of Hebrews and they read there. And so the, the, the Melchizedek means Prince of Peace or Prince of Salem. He was the king of the ancient Gentile city of Salem that was later called Jerusalem. But you see, I have problems saying that Melchizedek was, was God in the flesh. And you may say, why? Because God has had one body. Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. Now you may say, yeah, the only begotten Son. But when it means God manifested in the flesh, not only was He the only begotten Son, He was the only body of God. Now I believe that. I just believe that. I don't. I I just believe that. I've I've searched it. I've I've even prayed about it because I I've, I've read some articles. I I wrote a real long article 
back in Texas one time on this. But I just, I just can't make Melchizedek equivalent to Jesus Christ. Well, some people say, well, it's not equivalent to Jesus because he never died for the sin of the world. But I can't say that Melchizedek was a living manifestation of God on the earth. Now, please understand, when we pass around the, the, the tapes that we have by Malcolm McGregor and tithing, giving, receiving, he makes reference to Melchizedek as being God. Now, you remember that? Now, that's one part of that tape I don't believe. Now, we have a lot of ministers who personally believe that. I just don't. I think God has one body. One body. Now, the reason why that I, I think that, that, that this business concerning the church, the church is one body on the earth because, because God only had one body in which he lived in. And now he lives in his church on the face of the earth. He's got one church. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. God seems to like this business of togetherness. Now, he goes on to say, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Now, quite frankly, we just want to put something in here. All of us together are fractions that make up the sum total. And the reason why that the body of Christ quite often has so many problems with its individual members is because some people rise up in self-esteem or selfishness or self-grandeur and such to, to feeling that they are bigger than, more blessed than, more talented than, The one. But it is a known fact that no fraction, no portion of anything can be greater than the sum total. That's just it. And brothers and sisters, before I get really started in this Bible study, let me point out something. It doesn't make any difference how wealthy you become. It doesn't make any difference as far as the blessings of God are upon you. It doesn't make any difference how talented you become. Whether you can sing, teach, preach, pray, whatever. You can never be bigger than the part that you're joined together with. And what you're joined with, you plus whatever it is, is bigger than you. Now that's what Paul is saying. If I understand anything about what he's saying, that's what he's saying. Listen to this. Verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. In other words, you, don't, you can go around and say, well, I'm a Jew. So what? Somebody else, they, they, they're proud of the fact that they're not. And they say, well, I'm a Gentile. So what? What he's saying is, each part that helped make up the total can never be bigger than the total itself. Now, you know, when you read Corinthians, we've got some people here who are very scholarly as far as the Bible. 
Brother Miller searched the Bible and read the Bible for years. And Brother Miller, can't you, can't you see in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, these people had problems with this concept right here. They constantly, see what they all, they, they come and say, they, they said, well, I, I'm a Paul. And some said, well, I'm a Peter. And some said, I'm a this. Paul said, wait a minute, we're all of Jesus. Don't get the big head because I baptized somebody or somebody else baptized you and you esteem this minister above this one, so I'm bigger than this one and that one. He said, oh no, that's not true. Because no part can be bigger than what it's a part of. Now that is a basic fact of life. It was that way a long time before the mathematicians and the scientists proved that to be that way. And that's what he's saying. So it doesn't make any difference whether you're Jew or Gentile. Also, it doesn't make any difference whether you're bond or free. Because we have all been made to drink into that one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And what he's saying is, hey, you're just a part of it. And that's all you'll ever be is a part of it. And if you go out and get your own church, if God blesses you with a ministry, and you get to running 3,000 in your church while all your colleagues are running 30, you'll never be bigger than the church. You can't get bigger than the church. You can't get bigger than the body of Christ. It's impossible. It's impossible. And I'll tell you something else. When he starts this logic now, listen to this. Verse 14, for the body is not one member but many. So don't ever get the feeling you're the church. Now he goes into this logic. If a foot shall say, because I am not the hand... And I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? In other words, regardless of, you know, how big, regardless of what part you are, and regardless of how big you become, you're still a part of the body. You'll find out one thing about the body. For the most part, people grow in, or their, their members grow in direct proportion to other members. And you will find this, in cases where the members of the body do not grow in direct proportion to the others, you become a real spectacle for society. Now, you know, when, when somebody comes in and, and there's something wrong with their body, you can't help but just observe them, you know. And, and there, quite often you'll hear people that that are handicapped, they'll say, I wonder why everybody looks at me. Well, you can't keep from it. And that, that, I'm just not throwing stones at handicapped people. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, could, have, you, you could have a heart as big as a watermelon, and still you're going, to be, you're going to be attracted to certain abnormal situations. You can't help it. If the situation is abnormal, you can't act normal. Now, isn't that true? You know, you can be around a handicapped person and you try your best to ignore that and treat that person as being normal and 
it, it, when there's an abnormal situation, it is very, very difficult for you to act normal. Now, it just works that way. Now, I think that's what Paul is saying. It doesn't make any difference, you know. Here, here's the situation. You, you may be the arm of the church, and you may get so long that you're dragging the ground. But you're still connected to that body. And you see, when you, when, when you get the feeling that you're so big, does it sound like I'm griping or fussing or something like that? But you see, regardless of how big you think you are, you see, you're not really complimentary to the body until you reach around and start taking care of the frail part that you're connected to. You see, if a man set out to just, just lift weights all the time and he's going to grow a big bicep, who would want this arm to have a big bicep if this one didn't have one? Now, the truth of the matter is, now, now you who have been lifting weights and such, you know that this is true, that if you start lifting this arm, this one will grow to a degree without ever pumping the arm at all, iron at all. Because it does receive stimulation, and there's something in your brain that creates balance. Now, that's a known fact. And about the only way that you can... You can cause this to not grow at all. Just put it in some kind of a cast where there's total inactivity. Now, I'm stronger in my right arm than my left arm by virtue of me being right-handed. And there are certain members that rule over other members. Isn't that true? you got one eye that's a backup eye and one eye that's a seeing eye. Isn't that true? I remember way back, I'm going to tell you, Tear this up. I remember way back when I was in grade school, in order to determine whether we were left-handed or right-handed, our teacher would take a sheet of paper like this. Now, these are my notes. Don't get alarmed. I know what's on here. And we tear a little hole. Now, some of you have done this. And this is good for, for your children. And, and you take, I'll take my glasses off here. And you hold this out and you look at an object through that hole. And you just keep staring, you move it toward you, and whatever eye it ends up on, that's your primary eye, and this is your backup eye. Now, how many of you tried that before? You ever had to try that? Take a piece of paper and do it right now. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing this for a reason, okay? I don't want you to forget this lesson. This is, this is an important... Th this is very, very important. Now just look at something through there and bring it to you. Now pull it right and just keep that focused and find out which is your predominant eye. Okay, now Brother Rich ends up with this one on his left side. Now let me ask Brother Rich something. Brother Rich, are you left-handed? Yeah. All right. You see, most people who are left-handed will end up on their left eye. <clears throat> Now, Roy did it, and he ended up on his nose. <laughs> now, we were, see, this is what we're going to do. You, you see, you, you, may be, you may even be one of the eyes of the body of Christ, but you might be a backup eye. 
Now, does that mean the other one's not needed? Well, no. Now, Jesus said, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Now, make sure if, your eye ever, if you ever start plucking eyes, you pluck out the right one now. Just thought I'd put that in. <laughs> but most people whose eye, left eye, is predominant, they're left-handed. And the truth of the matter is, like in school, if we find out that someone has an eye that's predominant over the other one, like your right eye is predominant and, and they're left-handed, they usually have problems with coordination. And if you can change them to be right-handed, it's always proper to do that. But if you try to make somebody right-handed, whose left eye is predominant, it doesn't work. But you see... Most of you didn't even know. Why? Because there's perfect harmony and cooperation in those two eyes. It's there. And one of the hardest things for people to do in the body of Christ is for two equals to work together. You let two people can sing real well, and you know what happens? Usually they go off in this direction, like a cross-eyed person. Because they want to compete and not team up with each other. You see, if you consider yourself to have a very good voice, you need to start looking for somebody to team up with. If you can play the organ real well, you need to help somebody. If you're the best organist in the church, you need to help somebody become as good as you are. Now, folks, I think I'm preaching the Bible. If you're the superintendent of one of your classes and you've got teachers under you, you need to help those teachers become as good as you are. They may always be backup teachers. Now that's cooperation. And you see, but what happens sometimes because that we don't understand what, what Paul was really saying, we don't understand the principles of the Scripture, we, it's easy then for us to develop a bad attitude. If you're the best guitarist in the church, it's quite easy for you. If you develop a bad attitude, I wish everybody quit but you. If you're a good drummer, you want everybody to quit but you. If you're a good song leader, let everybody else go home but me. Now this is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Isn't this heavy stuff? You know the reason why it's so heavy? Because it's hard. I mean, it's really hard because we by nature... And not being fully redeemed, because this mortality have not, has not yet taken on immortality, it is difficult. It is very, very difficult for us to understand the principles of the Lord. Now you know why there's scriptures thrown in the Bible, like is found in the book of, of Romans, the 8th chapter. For as many that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And you see, the only way that this kind of business will work is when everybody blends themselves together harmoniously... Not thinking of themselves as being a sovereign power or a special entity unto themselves. Not, not some 
you know, not, not some kind of, a, uh, of an autonomous individual, but truly connected to some other member that is just as important as they are. Now that is a, that's a principle of the Bible. And you see, the reason why that the Jerusalem church got off to a real strong start is because when they had so many people filled with the Holy Ghost at one time, they were all in one mind and one accord. Now these people didn't just all have their mind on the same thing at one time. The one accord means that their spirits and their attitudes blended so well together. That when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost, they weren't fussing and fighting about who's going to do it. When he stood up, the eleven stood up behind him and said, We're behind this man. We believe in his ministry. We believe that what he says is absolutely correct. That's the way they stood. And then when you read Acts 15, you sometimes wonder why Peter wasn't the leader. But he wasn't. James was the leader. Is that right? When the Jerusalem Council met, James was the spokesman. You don't hear much about James, but James was the spokesman. Now you'd think somebody like Paul would have stepped out, because Paul was a great apostle. You'd think somebody like him would have stepped out and said, Look, I think I deserve to be the leader because I happen to be the greatest evangelist in the, the church. No. Now, Peter could have stepped forward and said, The Lord personally gave me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You heard him commend me. I'm the one that had the revelation of who he was. No, they didn't do it. They all sat down and James. He said, Now, we've listened to all these arguments. Now, here's the way it is. And what did they do? They said, Yeah. What were they doing? They were backing each other up, they were cooperating. You see, there is unity in your body. And every time that you pick up the fork and your mouth flies open, you need to understand, hey, there's unity in this body. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? That's true. It really is. And sometimes just when you're driving down the road, you need to think about, hey, you know, these two eyes are working together. I need to work with a brother. This is the reason why all ushers should work together. They should back up the head usher. Isn't that true? And then the man who's ultimately in charge of that. And all singing in the choir. They back up the choir director. And all of those working on the platform... They back up the service leader. Really? And all of the Sunday school teachers need to back up the Sunday school superintendent. And then all of the leaders of the church, then they back up the leader of the church. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to put myself in a position where I'm untouchable. No, that's not the way it is. That's the way it is, but that's the way it... Well, that's just the way it is, I guess. You follow what I'm saying? You know, I, I don't want to contradict myself. 
In other words, <clears throat> people make mistakes. Leaders can make mistakes, and you know that. And we're not saying follow anybody in sin. We're just talking about cooperation. And then what, what's so beautiful then about the body is the fact that each member needs to fully, not understand, but appreciate the function of the other. That is, that's a principle that's so very beautiful. <clears throat> I could just start right here, right down, down the line. You know, we have so many talented people right here. I mean, you just look around at the various talents of all these people. Each one has their own particular job. You know, and, and, and you know, every now and then we get a singing group, and, and they'll sing something that I, I, the style of singing I don't particularly like. Now, I know what style of singing I like better than the other style. You know, you go to the Harvest Time Rose, a Harvest Time Rally, and here, Brother Hugh Rose is up, you know, and, and he's singing his opera style. And I'm not going to tell you whether I like that or don't like it. <clears throat> his voice is quaking. Ship ahoy! <clears throat> then somebody else gets up and they sing, I saw the light, I saw the light, no more in darkness, no more in night. Now, if you don't understand this, you know what? You may not understand that, and that may not be the most pleasant thing to hear, but you can appreciate it. Because it is complimentary, and it is needed in the body of Christ. Because if everybody was just like you, we might be in a mess. <clears throat> Isn't that right? See, that's just the way it goes. And, and I, I've got to tell you this, I, I really, I'm very, very reluctant to pass judgment on people's abilities and talents. I, I don't, sometimes people ask me, Brother Grant, do you like this record? Now, if it's something that I feel that's not scripturally right, I don't mind saying, no, I don't like it. But if it's just a matter of preference, if it's something that's, that, that I don't particularly care for, I don't like to tell people, no, I don't like that. That's not my style. Now, why not, Brother Grant? What would be wrong with that? You see, if you start just criticizing things that you like and dislike and everything, after a while, your attitude's not going to be right. And you're going to become so picky in the things that you like and dislike that you might understand or you might misunderstand your function in the body of Christ. Remember this. Somebody might not like your talent either. Does that mean your talent's not needed? No. And none of us ever get so big that we, as a fraction, become larger than the sum total of what we're involved in. It's impossible. You just simply cannot do it. Now, if you can't do it, you might say, well, then I'll just step out and I'll become independent. No, he says, no, you can't do that. If you're going to be the arm, you've got to always stay with the body. Because when you're chopped off, you're not the arm anymore. You're just a has-been. Sometimes, you know, we get to feeling like we're an expert. You know, that we just got all the answers, you know. that. Well, please understand, 
If you ever get to the place where you really feel that you've got ability and talent, make sure that the part you're connected to is complemented by you. See, if, if a man has huge, huge biceps and he's connected to a real small frame, and he's walking around here with a 17-inch waist and a 21-inch bicep, he's going to look like something jumped out of the comic book. <laughs> While 21-inch biceps on a 400-pound man might not look so bad. Isn't that true? And consequently then, when you're praying and you're seeking the Lord for your own talents, your own abilities, make sure that you pray for the whole body. Don't you think that's what the Bible is saying when it says, prefer your brother over you? Build up another member. And when he speaks of spiritual gifts, see, the whole thing of spiritual gifts, when you get into 1 Corinthians 14, is for the edification of the body. It's not, he makes it very plain. Now, this is not made to make anybody feel like they're real Mr. Spiritual. Some people have a way, when you're around them, uh, they, they have a way of making you feel backslidden almost because they're always talking about how much they prayed and how much they sought the Lord and how many revelations they got and how much of this and how much of that. And now, you may have had 14 dreams last night. It might not be wise for you to tell all 14. You might tell one, but why don't you try to tell four or five that somebody else had? See, Jesus taught us that about fasting. He said, when you fast, what are you supposed to do? Oh, he said, do like the Pharisees. Don't comb your hair. Oh, look pitiful. Look like death warmed over. Walk out on the street, you know. Long face, hair uncombed and everything. When people go by, they say, oh, he looks pitiful. He's fasting. Got to be spiritual. When you pray, make sure you go to the marketplace. Now, what did Jesus tell all those things like that? What do you think he did? He was constantly drilling in to those people who heard him the concept of the New Testament church. It doesn't make any difference what your talent is. You know that can be used. We need people. Let's talk about the physical part for a little bit. You can't always separate the physical around doing things in the flesh. Can't do that. You know, you may be a computer operator. We got some here. And how much we need those. But we need the plumbers too. And the electricians. And the welders. And the painters. And the sheet metal men. The maintenance men. See, everybody's needed. I mean, everybody is needed. Why? Because you see, out there, they're computer operators, plumbers, maintenance men, sheetrock men, carpenters, sheet metal workers, office workers, secretaries. They're all out there. 
And God needs every person that's in the body. Now he says, what happens here, he goes on to say now, you know what, what happened? Let, let's just let's go through some of this. Just I don't want to go over my time, but uh, let's look at uh, verse 21. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, Nay, but much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Now, he says something in verse 22. And I don't, I don't really think he just put it this way. You know, just by accident. But notice what he says. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem. S-E-E-M. Seem. Could somebody give me a definition of that as it's used here? Which appear. That's a good, which appear. Now he does not say those members which are more feeble. Feeble here means weak. What he's saying is those members which seem. Let's say it together. Seem. Seem. That means that sometimes you have a preference. Now that, that member may be revered and respected. And they may be elevated to a point of double honor to somebody else. To you, they're not very good. And they're not needed. And that's why he says, hey, they don't seem to you to be needed. Why? Because to you they're weak. They're feeble. But he says, it takes all. It's necessary to have all. Because I don't care. When you start adding up fractions, you can add them all up until you get 63 64 but you still don't have a whole until it comes out one. And there may be one member that thinks he's half the church. But even if you're half, when you add everything else up, it still is bigger than, a, than just the half. That means you plus the rest of it is bigger than yourself. Because anytime you add something to yourself, you get more than the sum total of yourself. Now people do slip into this. There's a lot of people can be used, and 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 I use this uh, this uh, talents and such, and, and and oh, some people can become an. I mean, a real expert. There's no doubt about it. Now I'm not saying that 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 people uh, should not excel to be the best that they can possibly be. But you see, when God gave you a talent, that talent, according to the parables, was not meant just for your own use. Is that right? Not just for your own use. 
But according to the Great Commission that we talked about last Thursday evening, when you have been taught and when you've excelled to a point of excellence, what do you do? You teach others to do likewise. That simply means every good teacher ought to be trying to produce a good teacher, and every preacher ought to be trying to produce a good preacher, and every vocalist ought to be instilling that same spirit in somebody else to sing just like they sing. And everybody that plays the piano ought to be looking for somebody else to teach if they can, so that when they're not here, somebody else can teach, can play in their place. Now that's cooperation. Now please understand, some of us couldn't sing if we wanted to. We're not supposed to sing. Isn't that right? You know, every now and then, we make reference about how good we sing. Brother O'Neill talks about how good he can sing. I talk about how good I can sing. I see some of you are laughing. I did that on purpose. You see, and other people laugh. But you see, we're really, uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, God didn't call me to sing. He might have called Brother O'Neill, but not me. And, and, and isn't it true that, that some people, when, when they are born, you will find when, when, when children are one and two years old, they develop special interests in certain things. Some of them like to draw. Now, what, where did they get that? What, what put that in them? You may say, oh, mother or dad developed. That's not necessarily true. I can truthfully say this. When I started at school, I don't ever remember drawing or painting in my life. And when I went into an art class, I began to draw and I began to paint. And the teachers from all the school came. Now, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm trying to prove a point here. And they said, they even called my mother and asked her to come to school. So where did he, who's been working with him? I don't know that anybody ever has. And some people can take the mental image in their mind and make their hand just go right down that way. And they can put it there. Some people can hear something a sound, and they can sit over, and they can play it. You know. And somebody, some people can take a paintbrush in their hand, and they can cut a line right straight down another line. And somebody else can take out a ruler, and, and they can see things that nobody else can see. And there are people who can raise a hood on a car, and they can hear things that nobody else can hear. And you know what? That's the way it's supposed to be. The Bible says, and every man having different gifts. You may say, oh, but Brother Grant. Now that's talking about spiritual gifts. Well, you might think that it is, but let's just take a look. Verse 27. And now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles. What? No, first what? Apostles. Apostles. All right? Secondarily, what? Prophets. Thirdly, teachers. 
After that, what? Miracles. All seem to be spiritual, doesn't it? Then gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Now you notice this when it gets to healings, it says gifts. Somebody asked me, Brother Grant, why does it say gifts of healings? Because for the most part, we think the gift of healing is laying somebody laying hands on somebody who has a bodily need. But he says gifts. There are people who are brokenhearted. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And there are people in the church that, that they're, they may be the sum total of their ministries to go and speak some kind word that will heal somebody's broken heart. Don't tell me that's not a gift from God. There are certain people can go to somebody who's wounded in their spirit and they can heal them. You see, healing's more than just laying hands on somebody and saying, I rebuke this sickness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's gifts of healings, not gift of healing. There's some people who are special counselors that can see deep inside of an individual. They can sit down and appear through the eyes of someone who's like looking in their soul. And they can say, brother, you've got a wounded spirit. And I believe that Jesus Christ has sent me to out today to encourage you. I was praying last evening, and in the spirit I felt that you were wounded. Now, I'm not for sure what's caused this. But listen, you be of good cheer. God loves you. And God cares for you. Gifts of healings. Then every now and then there'll be a brother or so that's bogged down. I mean, he's he's been working, he's been trying, and or maybe even a neighbor that you know that's heavy laden. You go over and take your physical hands and help him. You take that load off. You heal a problem. You see, God can use those fingers as a spiritual gift to heal, to encourage. He can use that steady paintbrush. He can use that outstretched ruler. He can use that that nine sixteenth inch wrench in your hand to help somebody. Gifts of healing. Now let's go on down. Helps. Plain just helps. In other words, you don't think you fit in the place? Just try to help somebody. Is that a spiritual gift? <clears throat> well, you might say, depending on what you're doing. Well, it just, he just says helps. Isn't that something? Governments. There, there's some people that can just, they just know how to put uh, things together. They just know how to administer. You know, I, I, I hear every now and then uh, concerning different individuals, different places. Well, he's not a very spiritual man, but he sure does know how to administer and help and such. Well, wait just a minute. Now, you're dividing spirituality in what you think spirituality is. 
Christianity. Who told you that spirituality was jumping pews and clapping hands? Oh, worship? See, you can be spiritual in your worship and be as dead as a, uh, as a, a whatever when you're not worshiping. Oh, my cooperation now. But you see, from the back pew to the front, from side to side, said people who are needed. Let's say it together. Needed. Let's say it again. Needed. But I can't do much, Brother Grant. What you can do, you should do. Be it little or be it much. It's not really important as to where you are or where you think you are as long as you cooperate by doing what you can do. See, <clears throat> it's necessary. I've, I've been doing a lot of praying and things, uh, praying about this this particular thing. You may say, why, Brother Grant? Because you see, the, the problem that I'm having right now, you know, that I, I stay gone. I'm all over the place. I've actually sat down and cried about it. I said, Lord, I want to be at Calvary Gospel Church every day, sitting in my office. Well, I can't be back there in my office every day because there are people out, people who need me to go visit them. And then... All of a sudden, I'm over here, and I'm over there, and I'm talking to this preacher, and visiting with this church, and doing this and doing that. See, the body of Christ is bigger than just this local assembly. And while basically the members of a local assembly work with that local assembly, you've got to understand that the ministry works among the ministry a lot. Follow what I'm saying? Because the ministry has to be ministered to. Even Jesus Christ himself, when he was on the cross... Ministering spirits came to him. So you see, it doesn't make any difference where you are. You're still connected to another part that's functioning, that needs you and you need it. And I've just come to the conclusion of this. Well, God has put me in the body of Christ. And, and I'm just not going to kill myself. Worrying about what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm not. I have prayed, as far as I know, every day since I've been saved, that I can be used. I prayed for wisdom. I prayed for the ability to deal with people. I know there are certain things about myself that, wow, that are so subpar. I know that. I'm praying about those things. But I'm doing what I'm doing. And while I may not be doing the best job, I want to reach out to those parts that I'm connected to and encourage them while they're encouraging me. See, I've come to this conclusion. I am what I am, not because of what I made of myself. But you see, I'm connected to another member, and I'm getting life supplied to me through another part. Now, he said, we need to understand all this so that there be no schisms in the body. Now, schisms in the body is not making reference here to, to biting and devouring one another that Paul makes reference to in other places. But schisms simply means like a, like, an, like a surgical knife would cut you someplace. That's what he's talking about. 
So, you know, sometimes that there just may, there just may be that you know, just that fine line between you and a brother. But you're not quite stuck together. That's what he's talking about. And you see, if you cut yourself, if the doctor opens you up, and he puts flesh to flesh, you know what's going to happen? One side's going to reach out to grab to the other. And there is going to be a calling from in your body that says, we've got to get back together. And there's a growing process. And if there's anything that's in there that should not be in there, that is in that gap that's been made, the body starts rejecting it. And as a result, it works out. And sometimes, every now and then, some little skirmish or something will come up between a brother and sister. And it just seems to be just like a knife that sliced that relationship. Oh, no open fighting, no bad words. Just not quite the warmth and the, the togetherness. But Paul is saying, wait a minute. You're not an individual. You're actually grown too. In other words, you can't separate yourself. There, there is no way that you can survive. You let her brother or sister say, well, I'm going to sit home and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm not going to visit and I'm not going to fellowship. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to, you're going to rot and die lost. We're talking about cooperation. We're talking about the body of Christ. Why? Because not only does the church need you, but you need some other member. Why did God give me this little finger? Why did he give me this toe? Why did he put some things inside that nobody can see? Some of the most vital parts of the human body. Nobody ever lays their eye on. But they're needed. Some prayer warriors by their bedside at night that may never get a pat on the back or thank you because nobody ever knows what they're doing can be some of the most vital members of the body of Christ. So one's out on the street passing out tracks. He's got a fistful of them. Somebody's showing a film over to high school. Somebody's helping a brother on his house and that's kind of a prevalent thing right now. Somebody else is helping somebody in their car. Somebody's visiting with someone and counseling with them. Somebody's healing a broken-hearted individual. Somebody's baptizing somebody in Jesus' name. Somebody's teaching a home Bible study. Somebody's painting signs. Somebody's studying for a choir song. Somebody else is sitting someplace in a, in a lonely corner, uh, meditating upon a message they're going to preach. Somebody's visiting with a neighbor. Somebody's helping a neighbor break leaves and such. But you see, it's all important, every last bit of it. doesn't make any difference what it is, it's important. Every man stood in his own place. Oh, that's so important that we understand that. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand up right now, would you?
And yea, my children, I have proclaimed in my word, and you very well understand because of the Spirit that lives within you. But my Holy Spirit is your life indeed. And the Spirit that flows through you is the same Spirit that flows through your brother. It is also the same Spirit that flows through the entire body of Christ. That Spirit is a Spirit that is one. And so there is oneness between you and your brother. There is oneness between you and your sister. For there is oneness throughout the body. And so there is a special drive and a special urge from the Spirit that the members cleave together and grow together and complement each other. When there's someone that's weak, my word declares that you should nourish it and bring it back to its full life and full expectation. So I'm asking you to reach around to someone that you consider tonight to be weak and nourish that one until that one becomes great and mighty. And yea, I pray that always, in every case, regardless of what comes your way, that you will stay together and cleave together as a real body would cleave together. For certainly, indeed, it is true, it's a noted fact of my word, and a reality of life, that no member can be lost from the body and yet have life within it. For it is from the body that life comes, and I put my spirit in the body. Yea, and then shall the world see you cleaving together. Have not I written in my word that the locust, that they cleave together in great bands to do the things that they're called to do? Have not I also written that the ants cleave together as a band to do the things that they should do? Then why have I called you to cleave together? Because there is a job for you to do that you cannot do as one person. It takes a joint effort of every member of this body. So it is only right then that you nurture the member nearest to you. And consequently, the whole body will receive strength and do what is needed to be done. Behold, I come quickly. And when I come, your reward will be given to you, saith the Lord. Praise God.
Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 12, 23, Paul goes on to say, And those members of the body which are less honorable, no, he said, which seem to be less honorable. You notice he uses the same thing, which we think, rather, to be less honorable. All we're going to ask you to do right now, the brother nearest you, and then the sister, the sister nearest you, hold hands with them right now, would you? Bind together. All of you sisters, if you can just reach back to somebody behind you then. Express your love and your appreciation. Now, if you could just express your love to each other. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then we'd like for you, after you've done that, to find a place to kneel and pray before you're dismissed tonight. God bless you richly for coming to the house of the Lord.